The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 221. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a time lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Braveheart team. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding. Position universe. Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Hello, I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Ta-da! She'll be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series of Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the fifth Doctor story, Ark of Infinity. And joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very well, thanks. And Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. Uh, it's too bad this isn't uh, episode 221B. That would be a lot of fun, but then we'd have to do Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> so... <laughs> First up, before we get started, I want to uh, encourage you to subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, your favorite podcast app, or at the SQPN YouTube channel, where you should be sure to hit the bell to get notifications. So, as I said, we're talking about the Fifth Doctor story, The Ark of Infinity. This is, uh, it was in four episodes, and it is the First serial story of the second season for the Fifth Doctor. It's the twentieth season overall, which is interesting. So, is there a twentieth season special that they do in this? Do you know in the in this season? Yes, yeah, the Five Doctors. Okay, so we'll be getting to that one, and uh, he's joined again by Tegan and Nissa. Although Tegan doesn't come back for a bit, but uh, let's let's let me give you the recap of what this episode is. Uh, this is from the TARDIS wiki. Uh, Omega, or as Americans say, Omega. An ancient time lord made of pure antimatter, once defeated by the Doctor, is plotting to cross over into this dimension by bonding with the Doctor. Meanwhile, the disappearance of a man in Amsterdam piques the curiosity of his cousin Tegan, who previously left the Doctor at Heathrow Airport, and now finds herself at Omega's mercy. Fearing total destruction from the collision of matter and antimatter, the time lords recall the Doctor to Gallifrey to undertake the only viable solution, executing him. Which... It seems like that we could have thought of some other things we could do, but <laughs> so uh, filmed on location in Amsterdam, which is interesting. Part of it, anyway. Very mildly, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Well, the BBC must have got a little bit of money, or they had another project in Amsterdam. Say, so, hey, let's let the Doctor Who crew come over with us and film a <laughs> no, film a few it was, minutes. It was uh, John Nathan Turner really wanted to do a foreign shoot, and so they did Amsterdam, but yep. I don't think it's very effectively used uh, now. Your mileage may vary. Amsterdam look, may look very different and exotic to you, but to me, it's like, okay, they're running around a European city. That's what they always do. Yeah. So the the big baddie in this one is a guy named, uh, Omega, as I mentioned, Omega or Omega, and apparently the Doctor has battled him before, although we haven't talked about that, or we haven't talked about that particular story on The Secrets of Doctor Who. So who is Omega? Omega is one of the founders of Time Lord Society. He was a stellar engineer that caused a supernova to become a black hole that then is 
somehow related to the Eye of Harmony and may be the Eye of Harmony that powers uh, Time Lord time travel technology. When his experiment was successful, he was trapped in, the anti- in an antimatter equivalent of our universe, and he used his mental powers to be able to create some artificial construct monsters. He made an attempt to get back into our universe in the 10th anniversary episode, which was the first multi-doctor episode. It was called The Three Doctors. It had the first, the second, and the third doctors. And he was a threat to the Time Lords then, and so the Time Lords pulled together the three different incarnations of the Doctor, and together they defeated Omega. Okay. And we heard about him again in the seventh Doctor story we did, where there was like a weapon that uh, related to Omega. The Hand of Omega, yeah, which which was capable of also destroying a star that the seventh Doctor used to destroy the star that Scarrow orbits, he thought. Mm. Also, more recently, in The Timeless Children, we got a glimpse of Omega, though he wasn't named. Uh, there's a moment in the script where we're having a flashback to Gallifrey, and in the script, Chris Chibnall says that the three figures we see, Tecteun and two men, may be presumed to be the three founders of Time Lord Society, in, meaning Tecteun, Rassilon, and Omega. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Yes, I remember that now. Yeah, so a a big figure, um, and so he he gets this sort of a starring role here. Although uh, your mileage mileage may vary, but I didn't feel like he came across as, you know, as powerful as all that. Like, like not even like the master. Like, I, I didn't feel like. You know, they keep his identity secret for like three quarters of this. So yeah. even though we're seeing him, he's in a new costume with a new headdress. He looks nothing like his previous appearance. And so I think that kind of underwhelms what he could be to this if they had exposed his identity earlier. And that kind of goes along with uh, what I was saying earlier about being underwhelmed by Amsterdam, because it just looks like they're running through the streets of another European city. They don't focus on the canals and it's not all that exotic. I think, I think like Spain, when, even though when they went to Spain in the Sixth Doctor's time, I thought that was a more effective use of Spain mm-hmm. than this was of Holland. Yeah, Spain felt a lot more foreign <laughs> to uh, to England. It's interesting because you talk about the canals, and Britain has a lot of canals. And yeah. some of the downtown Britain, some of the cities in Britain, have these canals running right through downtown and look exactly like that. In fact, there was one scene where I don't know if they had reversed the film or something, but it actually looked like they were in Britain because the the road signs were on the other side, on the right hand drive side <laughs> of the road. Instead, ah. but it might have been, you know, of course they they fil- literally filmed, you know, they use yeah uh, film when they were producing this, and so they might have just it might have got reversed, or it might have been a reshoot actually in Britain in a this looks close enough, let's use it type of deal, right. you know. In fact, we've even seen British canals on Doctor Who before, like in the scene which they were to use in Shada and did use in The Five Doctors. Mm-hmm. You've got Tom Baker and Lala Ward punting down a canal in Oxford. That's right. That's right. It, yeah. it would have been better. I think part of the problem with this is it would have been better if they had gone out into the countryside mm-hmm. in Holland instead of keeping a smack dab in the middle of a city center where everything looks, okay, this is standard European architecture. Yeah, including. Yeah. Including Schiphol Airport, which, you know, looked like it could have been the, the you know, the any. front door of any airport <laughs> in any country in the world. I mean, it could have right. been something they filmed here in the United States at that time. 
Right. And they spent most of the time in Amsterdam running about. That was just basically what yep. it was. It was the running through streets. So let- Well, actually there was less of that than I than I remembered. Hmm. They I mean they do have a bunch of stuff happening earlier that involves moving from one place to another. But the 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 thing that I remembered being particularly painful was in actually just like the last 10 minutes or so. Mm-hmm. Of the serial where they are literally running through the streets of Amsterdam and yeah. chasing each other. And okay, that went on for a little long, but it wasn't as bad as I remembered. <laughs> it seems longer when the first time you watch it. <laughs> so I, I, uh, I almost, yeah. I'm almost surprised there's not something on YouTube where it's sped up and put to the Benny Hill theme. I mean, it just kind of <laughs> felt like that. Man, you, you ha- there's a vi- there are videos on YouTube of Tom Cruise running everywhere because Tom Cruise always runs. We could do the same thing with the doctor running, just all yeah. shots of a supercut of do- the doctor running. So there's also the mention of the Matrix, which we've we've heard several times in New Who. It's come up. I, I don't think I remember it uh, having seen anything like what we saw in this one, where the the Lord President is the only one who really can access the Matrix and that sort of thing. So what what again is the Matrix? Just remind me. The Matrix is a database on Gallifrey that's composed out of the memories of all the Time Lords, and it's often portrayed as a virtual environment. It comes up in many of the episodes where the Doctor visits Gallifrey. Uh, it first appeared in Tom Baker's time, and it was established at that point that the president of Gallifrey had special access to it. Mm. In this episode, that's relevant because apparently Gallifrey has HIPAA privacy laws. You cannot <laughs> transmit the biosignature of a Time Lord unless you're on the High Council. And uh, and really, only the um, the president has direct access to it through a kind of levitating crown special <laughs> effect thing. Yeah. Also, there's just a lot of Time Lord technobabble in this episode mm-hmm. that doesn't is. make a lot of sense. It's like, oh, if we combine... So they also established the title of the episode, The Ark of Infinity, is a region of space that has a special magnetic anomaly from a collapsed Q-star that allows access to the antimatter dimension. And somehow, if if Omega, who they, who they think is just an antimatter creature, they don't know it's Omega at first, mm-hmm. if he's able to cross over using the Ark of Infinity and, and get control of the Matrix, it's like unlimited power, and, <laughs> and they don't really explain how. Yeah. yeah. Just technobabble. There's We're, a lot of that, of, of a lot of talk about things and without explaining that just, uh, you know, you just got to turn your brain off and go with the flow otherwise, because it just, there's a lot of, yeah, a lot of that babble. Well, it's funny, too, that that crown that the Lord President uses for the Matrix, we see later this season in the Tenth Doctor, or the Five Doctors, uh, as the was a, the as the crown that he's wearing as he comes in at the end and everything. And it's just like, mm-hmm. okay, we're using props. Got it. Because <laughs> it's not <laughs> for the, the same purpose. Ball. It's still the Lord President, but it's not the yeah. same purpose, you know? <laughs> right. So another thing that's notable about this episode is one of the guest stars, a, a one of the Time Lord, uh, you know, citizens is Colin Baker, who will in mm-hmm. a, eighteen months from that this point or this airs, uh, will become the Sixth Doctor. Eighteen months or twenty four months or something like that uh, will become the Sixth Doctor. But in this case, he's playing Commander Maxill, who's head of security or something along those lines. I gotta say, I don't know if they if they modeled the writing for the Sixth Doctor off of this character, but he's the same kind of jerk. 
that the yeah. sixth doctor is except here it works because he's playing a bad guy not yeah the hero well. yeah <laughs> Quasi bad guy, Quasi, uh, yeah. Quasi very, bad very guy. strict security guy is probably yeah. a good way to put him. I mean, he wants to kill the doctor, so <laughs> that de facto makes him a bad guy. <laughs> but yeah. uh, you know, yeah. we could we could we could just headcan it. That's really the sixth doctor, you know, wanting to mess with his earlier regeneration. It, but. Th- that's true. <laughs> that would be weird. This does though prefigure a a situation that showed up later on the show where Peter Capaldi had played a couple of roles on Doctor mm-hmm. Who and then uh-huh. went on to be cast as the Doctor. And at that time, they even addressed the question, why this face? Mm-hmm. And and so you can headcanon something similar was happening when the, the fifth Doctor regenerated into the sixth. And yeah. somehow com- the role that Commander Maxwell played in this plot may have influenced his choice of regeneration. Subconsciously, <laughs> subconsciously, yeah. I'm trying to think of what would, yeah, but yes, we'll have to just head headcat in that. One, one. There's an interesting note on the Tardius Wiki um, page on this episode, which is that Colin Baker, who's at the time now, I think he's, I think he's mellowed and he's become a much come. He certainly comes across in more recent interviews as a very sweet person, mm-hmm. but at the time, his acting style was very loud and boisterous and kind of peppery. And that's all on display here. And there's a note on the page for this episode that says he was he was playing this as if he was the main character. <laughs> right. And John Nathan Turner had to go to him and say, this show is called Doctor Who, not the bloke in the background that's a security guard. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. But he he does, and, and Colin Baker will talk about how he gets to shoot uh, his his predecessor. Yes. And connect that somehow in his mind to seceding him in the role. You know, a couple of interesting uh, casting notes. So Patrick Stewart was considered for the role of the Castellan, which would have been very interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that would have been just a couple of years before Next Generation. By, by the way, the term Castellan refers to the guy who's the master of a castle. Yes. And so... He's the guy, he's not the president, but he's apparently in charge of the citadel on Gallifrey where all this takes place. Right. Sort of uh, the chief steward, you know, the... Like, the chamberlain. The, mm-hmm. Yes. The steward of Gondor, like Denethor, Lord of the Rings. Um, and then Pierce Brosnan was considered for the role of Maxil, which also would have been very interesting. <laughs> I, 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 I want to see that alternate version with Pat, Patrick Stewart and Pierce Brosnan. I just want to. Pierce Brosnan <laughs> would definitely play, probably play the character better. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, so uh, yeah. Also, um, take take note of the hat that um, that Maxwell has. He's got this red motorcycle helmet that has ostrich feathers on the top of it. <laughs> yep. And it's so tall that it kept, and he's tall enough that it kept bumping into doorways and stuff. And so for most of the episode, he has to just keep it under his arm, which he felt like he was carrying around a chicken. <laughs> right right i did notice that he was carrying that thing around uh so, so the the plot of the story is that that omega needs the doctor's bioscan for some reason in the doctor specifically yeah well not the doctor specifically necessarily there's a conversation that they have at the beginning of episode one where a, a time lord figure who we only see in shadows is talking to Omega, who we do see, but it's a new costume. So we have these two unknown characters talking to each other. And Omega is is saying, have you picked somebody? And the shadowed Time Lord 
says, yes, and for various reasons, it's got to be the doctor. And the doctor is, Omega is like, ooh, the doctor, how ironic. And what he wants to do is biologically bond with the doctor in a way that will allow him to live permanently in our universe by flipping his particles from being antimatter to matter particles. Why the doctor is necessary for that, they never explain, but apparently yeah. so. More of the babble, the techno babble that doesn't get explained. And more of the excuse uh, why the doctor had to be recalled to Gallifrey and all that. Right. And as I said, the 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 Time Lord Council, the High Council decides that the only way to to do this to to fix this is to kill the doctor so that he can't be copied so that he can't yeah. be merged so they omega has already partially bonded with the doctor and that they say therefore that his crossover into our universe is imminent it could happen at any time and in view of the short amount of time given the partial bonding the only solution they see is to kill the doctor to sever the connection. Right. Okay. That seems extreme, but uh... yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> and then... also, also, none of the people I'm I'm going. Okay, you keep talking about the urgency of the situation, guys. You are a time traveling civilization. Think four dimensionally. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And and some for some reason, Amsterdam is key to this whole thing. Like the, the that location is where the the o omega is coming through to our dimension for some reason and that's just random it's yeah just <laughs> of all the universe uh nice so uh hmm. so that's the, that's really the, the the heart of the plot you know the, this, there's a lot of running around and the, the doctor is killed but not really and that sort of thing i mean there's a lot of a lot of that but there's that's really the the heart of the story uh so i wanted to talk more about some of the 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 characters that we see, uh, so the, the we have a, a time lord uh, that's the doctor's friend, Damon. He's a technician in. He's one of the ones who notices that in the beginning the doctor's bioscan being downloaded. Uh, his coworker gets executed by the traitor, the traitorous high counselor that we'll find out the identity of in a second. So Damon he works with the doctor to, as a sort of treason against. The orders of the High Council, which is very interesting. It's interesting to me because not having seen a lot of these classic episodes, I haven't seen a lot of Time Lords who are friends of the Doctor, which is which is kind of interesting to see to me. Yeah, typically whenever he shows up on Gallifrey, there's some Time Lord friend from his past. Mm -hmm. In fact, in when when Tom Baker first goes to Gallifrey, where we get our first episode that's set entirely on Gallifrey. He meets Cardinal Barusa, who was like his mentor. Mm. And here in this episode, Barusa has regenerated and he's now the high president, but he's like an old friend of the doctor's. Yep. Okay. Okay. And uh, and then the other friend of the doctor, who turns out not to be so, is Counselor mm. Hedden, which is uh, interesting. He's played by—oh, I had the, the thing. Played by Hedden is— Michael G Gao Go Gao Goff Goff of course that's the way it should be uh but I've seen him in a lot of things he's one of those characters mm -hmm. who's been in a lot of things but he was all previously in Doctor Who in the uh the Nightmare Fair as the toy maker in uh well actually is that no no he would have been but he would have been did, yeah yeah but he was previously the celestial toy maker uh in in, in a previous uh episode, in the first right? Doctor's time yeah yep. okay 
uh, and uh, had also been married, by the way, to Annika Wills, who played Polly in the first Doctor's time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Uh, well, it, second Doctor, okay, but second starting doctor. in the first Doctor. Right, 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 right. Uh, he also played Alfred in the original Batman movies, uh, which is that's where I recognized him from. Mm. Uh, but anyway, Hedden is the traitor. He's the one who's working with o- Omega to bring him into our galaxy, into our universe, or our dimension. And he, his motivation, he kind of reveals at the end is, you know, Omega is one of our leading lights. He is one of our founders, and therefore he deserves to be brought back. Uh, yeah, he also his his motive, is, even though he's been doing villainous things, including killing people like Talon's uh, or uh, Talon was the name of the guy that got killed. Right. He his motive is not purely villainous. It's like Omega has been treated unjustly by our society. We should not have abandoned him in the antimatter universe. He needs to come back and, you know, uh take his rightful place and be at you know accepted in our society and so forth and omega himself doesn't seem to have a terrible motive mm-hmm. when we get the final confrontation with omega which is in amsterdam and he he's gotten his body temporarily turned into matter but it's un that's undoing itself and mm-hmm. now it would, in a way that doesn't make any sense, given what antimatter is, right? But it's it it's he it's undoing itself, and he's going to go boom if he's not stopped. But he explains to the doctor why he he wants to come back instead of just living in the antimatter universe where he's all alone mm-hmm. and has only his own mentally created bad version of a holodeck to entertain himself. <laughs> Yeah. And he says, time to come home, doctor, time for rest, time to find peace. So he's, he, you know, that's his motive, too. So it's interesting we get some complexity to the villains that we often don't get. Right. He's not just a bad guy. Um, yeah. The, uh, it, it, I mean, the, obviously, in order to do this, they're, they're kind of sacrificing the, the doctor. Although, the original plan, Omega's plan, would not have killed the Doctor, would it? I mean, would that would it have replaced the Doctor? I think we're meant to understand that the Doctor's body would have been taken over permanently. Okay. Um, okay. When so when when Omega finally does cross over, there's an explosion, it, and it doesn't go quite right. But he's been. Up to this point, he's been getting ready for the crossover. He's been melting. You know, maple syrup is just dripping off of his costume. <laughs> and and then when the crossover happens, there's this big explosion that somehow drops lots of red sawdust on the interior of his TARDIS control room. <laughs> yeah. And then when he takes off his helmet, it's Peter Davison. And so he looks like Peter Davison. He starts going around the streets of Amsterdam. And this is where we first start to see him as something more than just a villain. because. He comes across this uh, calliope that's mm-hmm. entertaining a bunch of children and their parents, and he one of the little kids looks up at him, and he smiles back, and he smiles at the calliope, and he's being entertained by the calliope. And there's no dialogue in any of this, but they communicate that he is uh, he he is capable of of friendship and compassion and happiness. Apparently, this scene is modeled off of something in Bride of Frankenstein, a similar scene, right? Mm-hmm. But he he does come across as more than just a villain. On the other hand, he is totally scorched earth. If he can't come back permanently, he wants to take a big chunk of the universe with him when he flips <laughs> back to antimatter. Right. 
Right. Yes. Yeah. That's a little selfish. <laughs> I got the impression too was kind of he would be like a ganger, you know, going back to those episodes, the mm-hmm. new who with the gangers, where it would be the doctor would still be alive, although he would be separated from his body in the the matrix. In the matrix. But the body still needed to be, exist as a template or something like that. And that's right. all. You know, yeah. so it's something like that's that's why the doctor couldn't actually be exterminated by the time lords. He had to be kept alive. Yeah, and and yeah, there was a little bit of time where he was hanging around, floating in the matrix. So uh, then there was uh, Nissa, who, for much of the story, is apparently the Doctor's only companion. She starts off, you know, her, her and the Doctor. They'd left Tegan behind at Heathrow at the end of last season. They unintentionally, thought she, unintentionally, yeah. they thought she was going. She was back home and wanted to go back to work. And and <laughs> Tegan was like, "Uh, where'd you go?" So. <laughs> Uh, so they're off on their own. I mean, I, I'm curious that some period of time will have passed for at least Tegan from her point of view. Uh, and uh, but Nissa, uh, yeah, I was gonna say Tegan had enough time where she got back to her job and then got fired. We know that. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious about that. How what she got fired for? If she, it's interesting, uh, but we'll talk about Tegan in a second. But Nissa, she's very aggressive in this in her defense of the Doctor. So there's a reason for that. Now, in the first place, Nissa is Peter Davison's favorite companion. He thinks mm-hmm. that she's the one that best fits his doctor. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure he was really pleased to be able to play most of this with just Nissa on hand. Mm-hmm. And also, that fact that they've been traveling for some period with just the two of them gives us a great place to shove into continuity all those big Finnish stories that are just <laughs> the fifth doctor and Nissa. Right. <laughs> but. Originally, Leela was going to be in this episode because Leela ends up on Gallifrey. She gets mm-hmm. married to a guy named Andred, and mm-hmm. so she's on Gallifrey. And they even mention her in this episode where uh, the doctor asks um, his friend, you know, uh, how's Leela doing? And he says, she's fine. And he says, I'm so sorry I didn't uh, get a chance to attend her wedding. Maybe I can see her while we're here. Well, originally they were going to have Leela in this episode, but Louise Jameson, the actress who plays her, turned out to be um, unavailable. And so they transferred uh, Leela's plot points to Nyssa, which is why Nyssa uh-huh. is suddenly a gun-wielding maniac defending the Doctor. <laughs> Normally that, that role would fall to Leela, and it would typically be Knives, but who knows, she may have learned to use guns better since she's moving to Gallifrey. Okay, that explains a lot. Yeah, because Nissa was, it you know, she was much more. I mean, Nissa tends to be not very emotional about things, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. she did. She was quite, for her, emotional in this episode. I mean, at one point she was even crying when she thought the doctor was dead. So the it was interesting to to see, and so that that explains it. I did. I did like this portrayal of Nissa, though. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. She oh, yeah. she she goes. She takes charge and she goes to town in this. I did like Nissa in this. Uh, and then, then we get to Tegan and her cousin and his backpacking friend. So her cousin, oh, uh, I forgot to write his name down, but uh, Robin, Robin, right? Her cousin and the backpacker friend Colin, Colin, uh, Colin which is easy to remember. Uh, they they're in Amsterdam now, backpacking around. Robin is from Australia. Colin sounded British, and now I think it's important to for, for the audience, our audience in twenty twenty one to. Remember what it was like in 1983 to backpack around Europe. No cell phones, 
no internet. You know, some of these things where they're trying to find places or get a hold of people, they're using cell phones, they're running from place to place. They're using yeah. phone booths. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, the the phone books in the phone booths, you know, that all that <laughs> stuff. That that would be very different today. You'd have a whole different sensibility. You'd you have your cell phone on you, you'd call people, you'd look things up. Uh so I, I it was very interesting to look at that from a 2021 point of view. But uh, by the way, I think you got yeah. it reversed. Colin is the cousin of Tegan. Oh, and Robin okay. is okay. The, the friend that's helping Tegan. Yes, to yeah, find that's Colin. right. That's right, right, right. right. Uh, Colin gets ends up getting they 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 decide to uh, they can't get in the hostel uh, to stay, so they decide to camp out in a crypt <laughs> on this old estate, which is you know typical. well, it's a crypt that's then connected to one of the pump houses to keep Amsterdam from flooding. Right, right. Which yeah. they actually are sleeping in the pump house, but it's like right next door to the crypt. Why and they that, would do that, who knows? But and they don't say it, but that's also part of why Omega chose here because mm-hmm. he's going to attach a Time Lord converter thing to the water pipe to extract hydrogen atoms for fusion energy mm-hmm. to make his transference. Although why you wouldn't go directly to the ocean, I don't know, <laughs> right. or any other building that has water pipes. Yeah, right, right. Uh, Colin is suitably creeped out by camping, you know, outside the door to a crypt. I would be too. And uh, and then in the middle of the night, he gets woken up and ends up being zombified by. Well, the, the, yeah, well, a, 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 they call it an ergon, but what it is is a skeletal pteranodon man, and <laughs> it and yeah. it shoots him with a gun that makes him appear to disintegrate. Yeah, but this is a fake out. He's not actually dead. This gun is just a transporter. And it apparently transports people inside Omega's TARDIS, and then if he wants, he can zombify you in his TARDIS. But later, Robin and Tegan get shot with it too, and they're just inside the TARDIS. They they don't get zombified, right? And and Omega rec- recognizes at some point he re- figures out that Tegan is a former companion of the Doctor and uses her against you know to make the Doctor do what he wants. So there's that, that element there. Um, uh, what do you think of? Tegan's role in this episode. I mean, is it does she acquit herself well in this? I mean, is the character effective in the plot? Father? Well, I, you know, I, it's funny because I, I think she does something we see later companions do that when they're separated from the doctor, they kind of take charge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and I think that maybe that's part of the reason why Tegan is a like character, even though she can be very annoying. Uh, she's willing to take charge. She's willing to get out there and okay, let's solve this. Let's find out what's going on. Okay. In fact, from her first episode with the Fifth Doctor, he a- analyzes her and says she's a, a competent coordinator. Mm-hmm. And so I, I like the fact that she takes charge. She's doing. I had the same thought Father did that. Yep, she's doing the companion thing post Doctor. She's being a little mini Doctor of her own. We're going to solve this mystery, right? And I, I, I suppose that would stem. It would be logical to stem from the fact that as a as a flight attendant a stewardess at the time. Uh, she would have been trained to take charge and to be mm-hmm. in command of you know in mm-hmm. emergency situations, which is the real job of flight attendants. It is yes. not yep. serving drinks and and <laughs> greeting people. It is to be there if there is an emergency. Exactly. Right. Went on retreat a couple of weeks ago, and that was one of the flights. The pilot actually actually said that the flight attendants will be coming around. And by the way, their primary job though is your safety, not getting you drinks. So <laughs> right, <laughs> right. They're not waitresses in the sky. <laughs> So, uh, all right. So, um, anything else we should say about this episode? It's a fairly straightforward, uh, you know. And what what do you think of it as a whole? The the episode. Uh, 
Father Corey? It was it was okay. I mean, I know we've we've talked about it before, but it seems like every time they go to Gallifrey, Gallifrey gets more and more washed down and just kind of meh. And this is just kind of a meh. They went to Gallifrey episode. Yeah. Jimmy, I I thought it was better than I remembered, and I I like seeing Gallifrey, mm-hmm. but what I don't like is how unreasonable the Time Lords come across. Mm-hmm. They are almost not every time we see them, but almost every time we see them, they come across as unreasonable. And I understand that they need to come across as unreasonable up to a certain point to justify why the Doctor left Gallifrey for the audience. But they don't need to just be villains or almost villains. I do like how after a bunch of the mystery, I mean, the the bad the the people who have been in the audience's mind the least unsympathetic. Oh, by the way, I also think it's ironic that the High Council of Gallifrey is like four people in the president. <laughs> <laughs> but I like how we've been led to think that the Castellan and Commander Maxwell are the real bad guys here. Mm-hmm. But then when once the Castellan sends Maxwell to investigate some stuff, Maxwell turns up evidence, no, the doctor's been t- telling the truth. And their attitudes start shifting. And so mm-hmm. they're they're portrayed as characters who are not unrelentingly single mindedly against the doctor. Right. They're actually more open minded than that. They've just got off on a wrong foot. And I like that. Overall, I would have I would have, you know, I would have made significant structural changes to all of this, but <laughs> it's it's better than I remember. One thing I, I kind of don't like is to up the drama, they will do things on the level of dialogue that'll be like, oh, this has almost never happened before in the mm-hmm. entire history of Gallifrey. Yeah. Like the, the emergency recall circuit has only, to bring back a TARDIS, has only been used twice in our history. It's like, then why did you invent it? <laughs> you know, and and then we're told, you know, capital punishment has been abolished, but there's one time before a Time Lord has been destroyed. And that's meant to I, I that presumably line was in there to cover the fact that Morbius had been destroyed or so they thought, mm-hmm. uh, which will be coming up on a Tom Baker episode called The Brain of Morbius, where we get to learn about that. Mm hmm. But still, the on the dialogue level, the the juicing the drama by oh, this is almost unprecedented. It doesn't really do it for me. Also, the helmets that a lot of the time lords are wearing, the two horse jewel rhinos, rhinoceros horn helmets, mm-hmm. <laughs> don't quite do it for me. It looks like they're trying to be a jadoon or something with these little oh, spiky yeah. <laughs> jewel horns, two of them. Yeah. I like the the big weird collars better than that. Mm-hmm. Also, let me see. Oh, yes. There's an episode or there's a scene early in the first episode where Nissa and Tegan or Nissa and the doctor are fixing the audio on their scanner. Yep. And we get to see the equipment inside one of the roundels, which here is mm-hmm. like an access panel. Yep. And, and then the doctor is happy to have that done. And Nissa says, hey, there's lots of other stuff we need to fix. Yeah, <laughs> and and like like the fact that uh, the TARDIS is supposed to be in a state of temporal grace. You said so. Uh, that's a reference to earlier where the Doctor had said guns wouldn't work in the TARDIS because it's in a state of temporal grace. But 
in the in the episode where uh, Adric dies, Earthshock, Cybermen are firing off guns, and the Doctor fires off a gun in the yep. TARDIS. Mm-hmm. And so this led fans to wonder, what about the state of temporal grace you said the TARDIS was in? And the Doctor dodges the question. Right. And, and so this is their way of handling that at the moment. They're kind of hanging a lantern on the, on the thing and suggesting that the temporal grace circuit or whatever has become broken. Now, we're going to get another twist on that when we go back to do our next New Who episode, Let's Kill Hitler, mm-hmm. because Melody Pond is going to shoot the TARDIS and it, it, from, on the inside, and it's going to have consequences. And the doctor is like, why did you shoot my TARDIS? And she, having heard all about the TARDIS growing up with Amy Pond, is going yep. to say, I was, I was told it was in a, in a state of temporal grace. And the 10th doctor is going to say, that was a clever lie. Anyone could see that was a clever lie. <laughs> <laughs> that, yes, that would be good. Uh, I, I do like I do like that, that Nissa had a, a honeydew list for the doctor, though. That, that's yeah. good. <laughs> well, I get a kick. You mentioned repairing the, the audio circuit. And did you happen to notice that it just happened to look like an early uh, portable cassette deck? <laughs> you can even see like the flap on the back, the door on the back for the batteries. Oh, uh, that's good. But it was like you like he was holding it backwards. You could see the buttons on the top and then the little door on the bo- the back for the batteries. <laughs> so that's what the audio circuit is. It's a, it's an old cassette deck. Nice. Uh so uh my thoughts I I thought it, the a lot of this episode was especially the early the the first two episodes were way too jumpy from scene to scene, back and forth from one thing to the next. I I, I was I found it distracting how much it moved from one thing to the other. Uh, I kind of felt I kind of wanted them to, and I think that 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 contributed to a bit of confusion about what's going on. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I, the, the, I thought that would have been could have been better. Yeah, the note that occurred to me at that point is if you're not already deep in this lore, some of this is not going to come across right. clearly to you because they're not stopping to explain things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I did figure out Hedden was the traitor. Early on, mm. because he was way too much of a chum to the doctor. <laughs> it's just the way writers think, and, mm-hmm. and th- it was clearly he was going to be the bad guy. So, uh, th- yeah, that was that was interesting. Uh, you know, it, it was it wasn't going to be any of the obvious like mm-hmm. villains, quote unquote. And it wasn't a woman's voice, so it wasn't the uh, the woman high counselor. So therefore, Thalia, Thalia, yeah, named after the Greek muse of comedy. Nice, mm. nice. Although she wasn't very funny. No, she was pretty <laughs> serious. And uh, quite quite a techie herself. She's all over, you know, how technology works. That's right. That's right. Well, those time, the time ladies, they they know stuff. All right. I think that about does it for my notes. Do you have anything else you want to say about this uh, episode? No. Um, I think that's about it. So um, we'd love to, to to hear from from you. But uh, but first, I do want to make sure before I forget, I want to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including. Leonides S, Frederick H, Megan S, Neil P, and Rhonda M. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue The Secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. Now's a great time to become a StarQuest patron, thanks to a generous gift from a StarQuest supporter. When you start a new Patreon monthly pledge at sqpn.com slash give, the first three months will be matched by an equal amount from our donor to support all our shows, including this one, which makes your gift go even further. And we're more than halfway to our goal of $2,000 in new monthly pledges. So won't you help us close the gap? If you've been thinking of becoming a StarQuest patron, now's the time. 
Visit sqpn.com slash give today. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So we want to hear from you. What do you think of Ark of Infinity, this story? Uh, did you like it? Did you have other comments? We'd love to hear your feedback by commenting at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page, or send an email to Who at sqpn.com. And as Jimmy said, we'll be back next time discussing the 11th Doctor story, Let's Kill Hitler. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Tom. Father Corey Stiga, thank you as well. Thank you, Tom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, it's the biggest explosion this part of the universe is ever likely to witness. Right. This is going to be fun.